How do you transition into your new position in life? In today's episode, our special guest, Boone Cutler, shares his journey of identity crisis while recovering from wartime injuries. Stay tuned for his inspiring journey. You don't want to miss it. But wait, there's more. After listening to this episode, search for the Lima Charlie Network on Instagram and Facebook. We are working on something big coming to you live on December 1st. Yo, what's up, everyone? This is Joe Bogdan from the Llama Leadership Team and co-host of the Llama Lounge Podcast. And I wanted to share with you this amazing opportunity to become a published author and become a fire starter. Does the thought of collaborating and connecting with a diverse group of creative thought leaders appeal to you? Well, it did to me. And joining the Firestarters Book Project was an amazingly easy and fun way to get my feet wet in the published author space. Shay and Christine made it so easy to navigate through the publishing realm and gave me the blessed opportunity to share my story with the world, and they would love to do the same for you. They are seeking aspiring authors like you to collaborate with them, and the best part is that they are going to do all of the hard work for you. All you have to do is commit to the process. You have nothing to lose and so much to gain. So join the team by visiting firestartersbookproject.com and tell them Joe sent you. It will change your life for the better, I promise. Welcome to the Power of Investing in People. I am your host, Shay Sparks, Chief Excitement Officer of Sparks of Fire International, where we get you fired up about your life and your business, where we by we transforming trauma into treasure. Check out my new hashtag book called, called, oh my God, I messed that up. Check out my new co-author collaborative book called Hashtag Firestarters, How to Be a Spark of Hope in the Midst of Change at my website at shaysparks.com. And while you're there, please feel to connect with me on all my social media links, uh, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Clubhouse, and Instagram. And today, our guest is the amazing Boone Cutler. So welcome to the show, Boone. Thank you, man. I'm happy to be here. And we just met, gosh, maybe like uh, a month ago with in our dear friend in Adam Bird, who introduced us when we were in Dallas. Right, right, right. At the Gallant Few event or, or Vet Expo. It was a good event. Really good. Yeah, it was good. And I have heard in the past that you have spoken many times there. I have spoken there. Well, with Gallant Few, I've spoken several times at Vet Expo. I've done that actually twice. One time I did it. Um, and that's right. One time I did it virtually. And then another time I did it there in person. It was really good. Great event. Great group. Yeah, I really enjoyed enjoyed being there and enjoyed meeting you as well. So thank you for being here. Pleasure is mine, ma'am. And for those of you who don't know, Boone Cutler is an author, columnist, music video director, and war fighter rights leader. He holds the distinguished honor of being the first nationally recognized radio talk show personality who is also a combat veteran from the current war. Boone's message is simple. America has lost faith in what we used to believe were the heroes of Hollywood. America has become disgusted with the political climate of today. So the only place to turn to and trust for leadership is the warfighter. You can find out more information and all of his shows and books and the things that he does on his website at boonecutler.com. So Boone, you know, I, I can't wait to dive in. And I always like to start off with the first question of what does investing in people mean to you? Well, I think each person has, has a value. 
You know, each person has a value, not, not just for themselves, but for the world. And when you invest into another person, what you're doing is you're bringing that value out so it can help the world. So it can help everybody else, help our community, help our country, help the people in your neighborhood and your families. And so when we're investing in people, we're really investing in everything else at the same time. Mm, so true. So true. And, you know, it sounds like everything that you have uh, accomplished in your life, someone has invested in you. So can you share with us who those who those people were? Maybe they're mentors or coaches or teachers. Oh, they're countless people. There's countless people. I always like to say, you know, Boone Cutler is a team effort. Mm. Uh, and it's it's true. It's 100% true. Boone Cutler is a team effort. I mean, we go all the way back. I, I spoke in, in my book about Mrs. Coleman, my fourth grade teacher, you know, actually fourth, fifth and sixth grade because I was in special education and she was my teacher. She was a very pivotal point, a very pivotal person at a very pivotal point in my life. That made a big difference, you know, and as growing up, you know, just people around the neighborhood were great mentors. My wife, you know, if she, if she did not contribute to me, I, I wouldn't be doing anything I'd be doing right now. I'd be dead. If it wasn't for Gene Lumsden, the guy that, that offered me a job when I was at Walter Reed Army Medical Center and, and helped me get out of the hospital and helped me get up on my feet with a, with a job that I could do in the state of mind and the physical state that I was in, I wouldn't be here. You know, there, there's just countless people that if, if they, if there wasn't an investment in me, I couldn't be investing in others. And that's kind of uh that's kind of the whole deal. You know, you, you get it and you give it back and you make sure that it goes out. You're not being stingy about it and, and just give back. I, I think that's important. I think it's pivotal. And I think it, it's something that, that especially those with the, the warrior ethos, I think we have to be selfless. I think if we are selfish, things don't go well uh, because we're not trained that way. We're not built that way. So to be selfless is is really just to be to be a warrior. Well, you know, I love what you said because you started off with your teacher, and I truly believe, of course, you know, growing up, we have teachers all all of our childhood. But I think as an adult too, we also we have teachers that show up when we are ready, when the student is ready. Because I love that you have Bruce Lee behind you, so it's kind of reminding me of that. And then when you have you know, you become the teacher at some point, your students show up. That's pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. Yin and yang, right? If you're going to be the yin, the yang is going to show up. And and I think that is accurate. And I think there is a fair amount of, of mentorship and teaching that I do now in my current life. And if it wasn't for, you know, when it comes down to teaching, you know, how do you teach? What's the, what, what's the methodology for that? It does come back to the military for me. If it wasn't for the non-commissioned officers who trained me and taught me how to teach and, and to do these things, when I stand up in front of an audience and, and I'm talking, basically every non-commissioned officer who trained me just ro- all rolled up in the run one with a message. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a lot of guys who are coming out of the military don't realize that they have those skills, but they really do. They just have to let them out. You know, speaking of coming out of the military, so what was your process like in the transition from military to civilian life? Well, the word purgatory comes to mind. It it was, um, I don't believe there is a transition. I I just don't believe that. I believe we evolved to the situation based upon the operational environment. I think that's what warfighters can do. I I don't think we assimilate. I think we infiltrate. And and that's how we kind of get into the civilian space is we infiltrate it because we can't really be civilians again. That really doesn't happen. And I think that's where the conflict is. When people are saying, oh, you need to transition to be a civilian. 
Well, first of all, that's offensive in a, in a lot of ways to some war fighters because you know what do you mean I have to be something different? I have to I have to become a different person. And then you've got your family screaming at you, going, "Why can't you just be the way you used to be before the war?" And so it's a conflict mm-hmm. when we talk about transition. I think that needs to be put in context. And the context is, you know, we're not here to assimilate. We're here to infiltrate. We're here to infiltrate based upon the operational environment. And we're here to conquer. As soon as we figure those things out, we're not trying to be like somebody else, then things go well. But before that, and everybody's like, oh, you need to transition, 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 or be like us or be a civilian again. All those are dirty phrases in in Mm. our community most of the time. They're just dirty because... It's like, you know, you can't, you can't make a fish fly. You can't make a bird swim, you know, and that's in, in rare occasions that they do that. Neither one does both very well. You know, you got to do one or the other. And so that's, that's what I'm saying, you know, be a war fighter and, you know, be a savage, but, but do it with kindness and, and learn the operational environment on this side of the wire and infiltrate effectively. Have you found not just in your own life, but the ones that you mentor now that there is a identity that gets so wrapped up in the military that now they're just almost struggling to find who they are and they're not willing. Maybe they're not willing or they haven't even thought about trying to create who they are now. Yeah, I think when you get out of the military, the first thing you're really going to hit about 10 months after being out is an, is an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And, and we start calling out the red zone. It happens about 10 months after you get off active duty, after you drink all the beer you can drink and, and mm-hmm. ate all the pizza you can eat and slept in as many days as you possibly could. You know, then you start to get a little bit, you know, fat and lazy and you're looking at your life going, you know what? I really got, I was sick of the military when I got out, but I really miss it now. Mm-hmm. And who am I? What do I yes. do now? And and that's a, that's an issue. So I, I think in the context of that, the way we deal with it is to realize we're not here to assimilate. We're here to infiltrate. See, these are warfighter words. These, this is mm-hmm. the language we understand. We don't understand the word assimilate. That's just it's just not in the in the brain housing group. I and mean, we could talk about it. We can explain it. But as far as like really understand it, like take it to heart, it's not part of our core. And so we try and change these concepts when I talk to guys that I'm mentoring and say, hey, listen, we're not assimilating to shit. We're going to infiltrate. We're going to dominate. That's what we're here to do. We're here to lead. We're not here to follow. Mm, I love that. I love that. Love it that you're really focusing on the one, the language, the leadership language that, you know, is oftentimes in the civilian world not used. No, it's not used. I mean, that's another conflict that, you know, within the civilian community, everybody expects this followership and they're followers of followers many times. And that's, that's a problem for us. That is really a problem for us because it's, it's not innate to what we're supposed to be doing. You know, within the warfighter community on active duty, you're constantly being mentored and you're constantly mentoring. That's just the nature of everything. Everybody has to learn everybody's job. And no matter what job you have, you have to learn two jobs ahead of you. So it's a constantly, constantly learning and develop a constant development in the civilian world. People don't want you to learn their job. They want, they want to hide their job from you. They don't want to teach their job for in front to you. So it's a, it's a constant thing. I like to say, you know, in the military, the motto is don't let, don't screw your buddy. In the civilian world, the motto is don't let your buddy screw you. Mm. They're two total opposites. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell us about your own story. Did you go those 10 months and drank all the beer and slept in and ate all the pizza? And now you're like, oh, I think I'll write a book and I'll, I think I'll become a radio personality. Is that how it went? How easy it went? Or was there some other no, things going on? Every, everything I'm telling you is, you know, took years and years and years just to figure out, you know, and it was because I was documenting 
what I was going through at the time. But my first two years out of the military were in a hospital. I was at Walter Reed for two years from 2006 to 2008 after I was medevaced out of Iraq. So I didn't really have that same transition period where I could, you know, you know, get out of the military because I was still in, but I was in a hospital and it was, it was really funky. And then when I got, when I left the hospital, then I was working a civilian job again, hats off to Gene Lumsden at the time, who's, who's just a great guy. You know, he hired me and I was not a hireable person at the time. Mm. It's just the truth. I just wasn't. And when I got there, when I got to his, when I got to the company the first day, he gave me a key to the place and he says, I expect you to make all your doctor's appointments. I mean, that was really his guidance. Wow. He, he says, work around your injuries. That's what he said. Work around your injuries. And he gave me two years to do that. And that was very, very pivotal because within those two years, I did need an element of protection because I was still on all the drugs that, that I'd been on at Walter Reed. The VA was still giving me. And that was a problem. I was going through the, I was dealing with that, what people call that transition process, the identity crisis. That's a transition process really just means identity crisis. Mm-hmm. I was dealing with that identity crisis. You know, how do you go from, you know, being a PSYOP team sergeant in Sadr City, Iraq and slugging it out with the Mahdi militia every day. And then you're, you're just the guy standing behind another guy at McDonald's. You know, it, it's, it is, there's, there's an ego thing that, that goes on and you fight your own ego. So when I went through that process, I, the first thing I had to do was get off the drugs. That was a big deal. I had to get off the drugs and I had to figure out how to get sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I got off the drugs and figured out how to get sleep, then I could start, start figuring things out a little bit and making, making, making smarter decisions and making changes in my life. But, you know, that process for me took, didn't take 10 months. I didn't start getting into it for about four years after I got back. Mm. And how did you get off the drugs? Did you just quit cold turkey or did you have a 12 step recovery? What happened? Yeah. And the drugs, just so I clarify, you know, we're not talking about, you know, me on the street scoring meth, you know, I mean, right. I was, I was going down the VA scoring my pills, scoring my prescriptions. And it was just, how did I get off of it? I, I just stopped. I checked myself into a psych ward. And once I got checked into the psych ward, I was on a lockdown unit and I spent 17 days there. And while I was there for the 17 days, I refused to take any medication and I refused to get, take medication against medical advice. I went total M- AMA mm. and, and the doctors were like, no, you have to take the medication. I was like, no, I'm not taking medication. I think the medication is the problem. And they were like, well, you're going to go crazy if you don't take this medication. I was like, the door is locked. Let's go crazy. And literally I was behind two locked doors. So I was in a place where I could go as crazy as I wanted to go. And it wasn't, it wasn't going to hurt anybody else. And for the most part, I might hurt myself, but it wouldn't be for long. I would at least know what I was like off the drugs, which I had forgotten. I had forgotten who I was without mm. the drugs. So I had to figure that out. And I did that 17 days in a lockdown unit. And how did that feel going through that? Feel? <laughs> feel? That's an interesting one. I never thought about my feelings about that. It felt like I was at the, I was at a hole. I was in a hole at the base of a mountain. Mm. So, so the first thing I had to do was dig out of the hole and then I had to climb the mountain. Wow. That's a daunting task Wasn't at the bottom of the hole. Bottom of the hole at the base of a mountain. That's what it was like. Wow. I love that analogy because so oftentimes people talk about rock bottom and everyone's rock bottom is different, right? Right. And sometimes you get in that rock bottom multiple times because it, it looks different every single time. 
but it keeps happening. So I love that you've really taken that uh, hole at the bottom of the mountain and not just climbed the mountain, but you've exceeded it. Well, I think we get to the top of the mountain, then we knock ourselves down, then we climb the mountain again, then we knock ourselves <laughs> down until we stop knocking ourselves down. But I think it's a process. Uh, you know, it's definitely a journey. And then sometimes we knock ourselves down on purpose because we know we have more work to do and that's okay. So what inspired you to go from rock bottom to going to the top of the mountain, writing a book and then becoming a radio personality? Well, first of all, I don't think I'm at the top of the mountain. As far as what inspired me, I, I think just trying to survive at the time. I'm currently not on air. I'm looking for a new gig there for the radio show. But the radio show was a way just for me at the time. We started out on the Fox affiliate here in Reno and I went to CBS and the CBS left town. And, and, you know, I live in Reno. There's like this many radio stations. So as far as talk radio goes, so it's, it's a little bit daunting to get back on air, but the, the beauty of that time was I was just an open book. I was on air going through everything like everybody else, except I was sharing it on the radio mm. and that, that gave the civilian populace the opportunity to be a fly on the wall and listen to it. And that gave warfighters the op opportunity to listen, going, Hey, listen, this guy's just like me. He's going through the same stuff I'm going through and I'm not alone. You know, I'm not alone in this whole effort. And that was, I think that was where that value came in. As far mm -hmm. as the book goes, I wrote, I wrote my fir first book when I was in country. I mean, that was written in Iraq and it was mm -hmm. written at Walter Reed and then years later, I ended up releasing it because I just wasn't in good enough shape to release it. The second book, FPL, I wrote that. I wrote that because COVID happened and I had just mm. gotten back from Panama and had stem cell, stem cell therapy, which saved my life, saved, saved my heart and also corrected some of the, the brain issues that I was having. Because uh, living with brain damage is not the easiest thing in the world to do. And I think people overlook that a lot. When guys have TBI, nobody ever asks them, what does it result in? Mm -hmm. Well, my TBI resulted in central sleep apnea, resulted in early onset dementia, resulted in Parkinson's. So I had all these things going on, but nobody tells you when you have TBI what it's going to result in. And so mm -hmm. it's always this mystery where you're going to have the problems. Now, we understand that we've got cognitive issues, but when you're having the cognitive issues, guess what? You're the last guy on the, on the planet to understand you have cognitive issues because you're processing as well as you can process. So you think it's okay, but it's not okay. And when your brain gets better... And there's been a couple of things that I've done to help my brain to the point that I've actually taken, you know, the metrics are involved here too, you know, and I know that when I left Walter Reed Army Medical Center, my brain damage was at 40%. Now it's at 10%. And I'm perfectly happy to give up that rating because I have my brain back. And I wish other people would be able to do what I've done to get their brain back because life becomes a lot better. And I've done things that other people haven't done. I mean, I don't know any other any other veteran in the country that's that's done what I've done to get better because it's just not offered through normal medical science. And that's you know cannabinoids, stem cells, and human growth hormone. Those are the things that work very very well to restore your brain. That's awesome. And how did you figure all this out? Just by research, talking to people. Well, I had the benefit of being on the radio, so a lot of people wanted to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And, and through those years, I, I had everybody on the show who had different, who used different modalities or different treatments to try and help themselves. You know, everything from, I forget the, the ganglion something or other thing where they stick a needle in your, in your back or your neck. And it supposedly does something to help with the vagus nerve, which makes a lot of sense. 
Mm-hmm. Right? People in there talking about DMT, people talking about shrooms, people talking. I was always talking about cannabis because cannabis was the first thing that helped me get sleep. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any negative effects to it. So I was always talking about these alternative uh, medicines and, and modalities. So I had access to people who were contacting me say, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? And so I just made myself a guinea pig. And as as other the stem cell thing and the human growth hormone, I just stumbled on that because my heart gave out and I was going to die. I had six months to live. And I went down to Panama. I got stem cell therapy for my heart. It helped my heart, but it also helped my brain. Mm. And, and when I was in Panama, I asked the, the doctor, I said, Hey, how many veterans, you know, have you guys treated? How are they doing with this? The doctor says, you're the first person. You're the first veteran in America wow. that we've treated. And I thought, wow, that's kind of crazy. I, what's going on here, you know? Right. And, and then, and then from there, I started telling the story about the, about the stem cells and a doctor approached me, Dr. Gunderson in Reno, who's a fantastic doctor. He says, do you know that also nortotropin or human growth hormone will help with, will help restore your heart. It helps with cardiomyopathy. I said, great, let's try it. So I started trying that. I found out it's covered by TRICARE if you have brain damage. And so I started taking it. It started helping the pituitary gland. Pituitary gland in my brain is the master gland of all other glands. Mm -hmm. And so it helped the brain damage. And the behavior dysregulation came down. The control came back. Everything. It's just better, better, better. So I wrote a book during COVID because I couldn't go out and do speaking engagements. So I wrote a book called FPL, which talks, which basically takes everybody through the process of what I've done to, to get better, to, to mm-hmm. make myself viable for, for, for infiltrating this environment. I love that. What's FPL stand for? Well, in the military, it stands for final protective line and guys will understand that it's kind of a play on words because the FPL is what, when everything goes to shit, you know, mm-hmm. you basically turn your gun to the FPL and you just lay on that trigger and it creates a wall of lead around your defensive perimeter. So you can't be, you can't be overrun, but in the context of the book, it's, it's functional, personalized lifestyle. And, and that's what we're talking about. We're talking about warfighters being able to use who they are and what they have right now to get what they need. And, you know, obviously on this side of the wire, we can't, we don't PT like we did in the military and we shouldn't. You shouldn't PT as a civilian like you're in the military. It's just going to cause injuries. You're going to get older faster. So learn how to PT as a civilian. Understanding nutrition is a little bit better on this side of the wire than it is inside. You know, sleep, how to use, you know, different things, whether it be cannabinoids, psychedelics, you know, whatever. There's other things that work. There's other things that are available that people just aren't talking about. So I put all the things that work in one book. Mm, I love it. I love it. And in this book, do you also put your warfire oath that you've come up with? The Spartan Pledge is definitely part of the FPL. Spartan Pledge, that's it. So tell us the background on that and what and what it is. Well, the Spartan Pledge is a battle drill. It's a battle drill for what to do when you don't know what to do. And every warfighter watching this will understand what a battle drill is because it's something that we do all the time. It's something that you practice. It becomes innate to you. So when you come under contact, some sort of enemy contact, you know what to do. Everybody knows their job. They know exactly how to handle things. They practice this over and over again. It's a battle drill. Okay. You're like, you're doing drills, like baseball drills, football drills, whatever. So it's a battle drill. When you get on this side of the wire as a Sabine, you don't have battle drills anymore. So when all of a sudden something happens, you're clueless because there's no battle drill. And that's how we're trained. So the Spartan Pledge is a battle drill. It's what to do when you don't know what to do. So if you're in a situation, you literally like, I don't know what to do. And I'm just sinking. I'm the world would be a better place without me. I shouldn't be here. What am I doing with my life? Well, boom, 
as soon as you start having those thoughts, you go through that battle drill, which is the Spartan Pledge. And the Spartan Pledge is two sentences. The first sentence is, I will not take my own life by my own hand until I talk to my battle buddy first. And the, and the reason for that is we have to get out of that histronic way of thinking. When we're in that funky funk, whether it's from TBI, PTSD, survivor guilt, whatever, the guilt mm-hmm. monster is a liar. That's just the bottom line. But yeah. the guilt monster gets inside your head. And then next thing you know, you get in the cycle and the cycle doesn't end. The way it ends is when you get another person on the line who knows you, who believes in you, who has been with you, who knows the deepest parts of you because they've served with you. And then it's, it's just a funny thing. As soon as you get them on the phone, all those that histronic thinking starts to dissipate, goes away. So that's the first sentence of the Spartan Pledge. And it's, it's about the immediacy. It's about to do what it's about to do right now. Now, the second part is not about the immediacy. It's about the future. It's about maintenance care. And we understand that we do best within our own community, just like other communities do. So we want to be around other warfighters. So the second sentence is, my mission is to find a mission to help my warfighter family. Now, that does a couple of things. One, it ensures if you're helping your warfighter family, you're around other warfighters, which makes you whole. The other mm-hmm. thing is, it makes sure you have a mission. Because a warfighter without a mission is a dead warfighter, but a warfighter with a mission is a deadly warfighter. So we want to be deadly again. We don't want to be dead. And so that's how, that's why we maintain a mission. Mm, I love that you came up with this because for me, I'm a, a certified fearless living coach. And what you're talking about is really the after effects of trauma is fear and fear is how it interprets the trauma later. And so all of that, oh, that constant Thinking about I'm in the worst of the worst right now, exactly what you talked about, the flashbacks, all of those things that happen during a traumatic brain injury or trauma, whatever, really set the fear in motion. So the fact that you're talking about asking for support, reaching out for support is so crucial So I love, love, love when Adam told me about this in the first place, I was like, oh my gosh, I got to have Boone on for this right here, the Spartan Pledge. I just love this because it is really about how you yourself have literally overcome so many different things. And now you're in, you've hit an obstacle, you invested in yourself and it naturally overflows. And this Spartan Pledge is really, is really doing that. So I love that you do that and, and tell people, you know, how I know that you've recorded Adam, but I, do you record other people and, and what is the, the magnacy of this? Yeah. When I'm out at public events and, and there's other warfighters, you know, notable warfighters there that are influencers, I, I try and get them to take the Spartan pledge on camera with me because I think it's important for, for leaders to be leaders. And it's a way for me to show leaders, Hey, listen, this is a tool that's available. Maybe you can use it when you're doing what you do. And so, you know, grabbing Adam or, I mean, there's a ton of people that have taken the pledge with me, but also these Spartan pledge ceremonies, we have Spartan pledge ceremonies that go on across the country and warfighters get together in groups, like huge groups sometimes. And they take this, the, they take the Spartan pledge together, you know, and it's also transferred over into the, the first responder community as well. We just did a gig at, uh, at Caesar's palace. I think there were over 2000 people involved at mm. Caesar's palace that took the Spartan pledge together. And so this is, this is something that has grown and grown and grown over the years. And it's, you can, you can create a Spartan pledge ceremony in your own town. You can do that. And I like to do it and kind of mix it, make it a festive thing. The VA has done it. Now we signed a memorandum of understanding and MOU with the VA and uh, before the COVID happened, you know, we had two years in a row that we did at a local VA and each time it would grow. 
So the Spartan Pledge ceremonies now, as COVID starts to tamp down a little bit, those are going to pick back up. But you don't have to be at a ceremony. This is something you can just do between you and one other person. It's just as effective. And sometimes that's the way it should be done. It doesn't need a ceremony. It doesn't need something ceremonious. It just needs two people having a very honest conversation. And then the next sentence, you talk about community. So you really built a community. Uh, Well, I, I hope to keep doing that. So speaking of, you hope what do you keep doing that? So tell us what's next for Boone Cutler. What's next for Boone Cutler? Well, I, I think it's just continue on the same path that I'm doing right now, which is is to make sure that our community, there's still a lot of people out there that haven't heard about any of this stuff. They don't understand that there is a community. You know, we're the first generation of warfighters to to have a digital space. That never mm-hmm. happened before. And I can tell you after doing this for 10 years that originally there were there were not a lot of groups there were not people there were not places people had not coalesced yet we've been building that over the years and and now that 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 coalescence has occurred so pretty much if you're just in about any city in america you can go online you can go on facebook you go on different social media platforms and you can search for a veteran group that's probably in your town or in a close a town close to you and you, you should join that group. You should be a part of that group. You should be a leader in that group. And so I encourage people to say, hey, listen, you know, it's it's not really about, you know, what are you, how are you going to be a part of what Boone Cutler is doing next? It's about how are you going to be a part of what you're going to do next? What are you going mm. to do next? Because people are available. The Spartan Pledge is available. If you've heard this, then you know about it. If you, you're listening to what we're talking about right now, then you know there's probably a group, group very close to you. That, that does road marches on the weekends or does yoga or goes swimming or, you know, does something more than just sit around and talk about their bullshit and get drunk. They're actually doing things. They're actually part of the community within their community. And I encourage everybody to get involved in these groups. And if you don't like it, okay, fine. Stay there, but make it better. Don't be a bitcher, be a worker. And, and that's, that's kind of how we make our community better. And that's what I hope people are doing. That's what's on, that's what's out there for Boone Cutler is to tell people to continue to be a part of the community. If you don't like it, don't run away, just make it better. Mm. Which brings me perfectly to my next question of what do you want to be remembered for? What would be your legacy? You know, it's interesting when I was dying from that heart condition, I had time to, to reflect on this. Like in, I really had to reflect on this. It's laying in your deathbed for months on end will will definitely definitely make you face a few things. There were a couple of things about my life I was proud of. One of which was the Spartan Pledge. That was very important to me. That's what I was proud of. Yeah, that's awesome. And I thank you so much for your time. I know that we we got to wrap this up. So just two more questions before you go. Where can people connect with you? We talked about Boone Cutler, but can they listen to any old recordings of you? Maybe other podcasts? Oh, yeah. They're all out there. I've got tons and tons and tons of recordings out there. Just just, just go on your, your favorite search engine. I like DuckDuckGo. And go on there and just just tur- just punch in Boone Cutler Podomatic or Boone Cutler Podcast or you know anything Boone Cutler. There's plenty of stuff. Also, there's a film out there I encourage everybody to watch that I was a part of, award-winning film called Unprescribed. And Unprescribed is amazing. I hope people watch that. It's on Amazon. You can watch it tonight if you want to. And what about your books? Where can they get those? And get my books anywhere books are sold online. Just look at type in for the author, Boone Cutler. FPL is everything after the war and call sign voodoo is everything about the war in the hospital. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being here and sharing your wisdom. 
And I always like to leave with this question of what phrase, scripture, or mantra are you living by right now? Well, I get, that one's pretty easy for me because I tattooed it on my arm. And it says, send me. Send me. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Boone, for being here. Thank you. God bless and have a great day. Thank you. You too. And thank you for listening to the Power of Investing in People podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, because I know you did, you probably took some notes because Boone's pretty freaking amazing. Go over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. And until next time, let's get fired up.